Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Cricket with an Accent. And today uh, we will be mixing few accents in few different time zones. Uh, and we'll try to make this show an hour long because guess what? We have actual two days or less of cricket to talk about. And helping me make this exciting for you and uh, insightful are two diehard cricket fans, which uh, if you follow me, you probably know them because their presence is uh, quite obvious on Twitter. Uh, both of them you know, know the game well, so let me welcome. Uh, both these guys making the debut here, Aftab Khanna, from, originally from Delhi, now in San Francisco, and Vijay Arumugam from Sydney, Australia. Uh, welcome, guys. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. Thanks, uh, Sakib, for having me over here. Uh, pleasure is all mine, believe me. It took some planning, and Vijay, I know we have different time zones. It's early in the morning. Uh, you seem ready to go. So I followed your account and I'm sure everyone who follows me knows of you because, you know, cricket is clearly your first love. So what is your association with the game as a fan? How far does it go back? If you want to just tell the listeners here. Um, thanks, uh, Sakib. I mean, uh, hello, viewers. My name is uh, Vijay Aramugam. I'm based out of Sydney for the last 12 years. And, uh, well, my association with cricket goes back uh, uh, way back to 1984. And I was taught... Uh, what cricket was by my mother, who was a, a big cricket fan who used to listen to uh, the radio commentary. And that's how she grew up. And she taught me what cricket was. And we had TV early on. And that's how I got onto cricket. And then like, uh, again, as I've told many people, I've never played cricket at any serious level. Uh, but uh, I've been more of a, a couch potato kind of a fan, having watched a fair bit of the games, ball by ball, test matches, one day games, kind of grew up with it, uh, read a fair bit of the, the sports stuff from the Hindu uh, uh, groups uh, and then um, I lived in a few countries and I've also uh, watched a few games including the 1999 Chennai test and then I've been a regular member at the SCG for the last uh, 12 summers so yeah I mean uh, I would like to call myself as a cricket fan who's got a view uh, an opinion uh, on that uh, but I'm not an expert from a cricket uh, playing uh, pedigree or perspective that's the way I would like to call myself no, it's quite interesting looks like we both have the same timeline I was introduced to cricket uh by my father when uh, West Indies visited India in 83-84 after losing that World Cup. That's my first recollection of the game and I became a Sunny Gavaskar fan. So we'll definitely talk about it offline. Looks like we have a lot more in common in terms of timelines. And Aftab, again, you are a fellow Dilliwala like me. So we've had few Dilliwalas on the show. Mm-hmm. So uh, what is your association uh, with the sport? When did you first catch a glimpse of it? And, uh, and how does it fit in your ecosystem now? Well, first of all, I'm glad to be to be part of this platform, Sakib, and thank, thanks for having me. Um, I was born and brought up in, in Delhi, um, and my earliest uh, associations go back to 1989, and I think I, I've written about it on a couple of forums as well, watching um, the, the exhibition game between India and Pakistan where Tindulkar hit uh, Abdul Qadir for a few sixes. That's my earliest memory of watching cricket, and I actually, at that stage itself, um, I think India lost that game and I started crying. And I remember one of the first lessons I, I got on in watching cricket from my dad was that, you know, winning and losing is part of the sport, so don't take it so seriously. Uh, I won't say I followed that maxim um, uh, very closely uh, <laughs> in all my years. Uh, but with proper cricket watching, I think, began in 1991 with the Wills Trophy um, in Sharjah, uh, after which I saw quite a bit of the Australian tour. And then the 92 World Cup, I think, is... A lot of like a lot of other fans, a little bit of the inflection point after which I was always game for watching whenever cricket was on on TV. And that's kind of been, um, you know, the the trend. I, I like Vijay. I haven't really played the game at a 
serious level, but have cleared it quite a bit at um, you know at the at the street level. Um, and so that's kind of been where I've exercised my batting or my off-spin um, skills as much uh, as I can. And now I'm a, a father of two, based in the U.S. and watching cricket at midnight. Yeah. So again, thank you for making time. I know you just had a newborn, and uh, uh, you know, so like family might think wasting time on a podcast, even though you know it's <laughs> it's meaningful for us. So thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. I think timeline-wise, it's fair to say you are five, six years younger to me and Vijay because we both are from '84 batch of cricket. I consciously made an effort not to bring that up in my intro. Yeah. No, no. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. so basically, we are we are Azhar, you are Tendulkar if, in terms of debut. That's a good um, partnership. That's a good yeah. analogy. Uh, and and Sakib, I would like to be the other way, and I would like to be Sachin, and we can call Aftab Virat. Okay, I mean, okay, so that that's fine too. <laughs> I can live with that. Yeah. So Vijay, let me just start with you again. Uh, this could be, and the question I'm about to ask you is the talk of the town and let's discount what players have to say, not because, you know, what do you, what, what do you really, what do we really expect them to say? But as a fan, as an analyst of the game, what is a good pitch? I asked this to Gurkirat Singhil last week. It's again, a question is louder now. The match ends in two days. First time since I think 1935 in terms of duration, it's the shortest match. Uh, you've had all sort of voices calling it differently. Uh, former players like Atherton say it's challenging. Rob Keyes says it cannot spin on the first day when part-time is like Root are taking five wickets. Uh, so w- the dust has settled. Now, keeping all these things that I said in mind, what is a good pitch and was this a good pitch? Um, thanks, Akiv, for the question. Um, I think a lot of people have pretty much said uh, whatever that needs to be said about it. Let me put put it slightly differently, right? So when I look at it holistically, we had a great series in Australia uh, where it, India won 2-1 and cricket was very engrossing. There was a fair bit of a contest between bat and the ball, uh, except the SCG where I was there for three days. I kind of felt SCG was probably the only wicket which didn't offer enough, but still India hung on to a, a, a very uh, good draw on the last day, Hanuma Vihari and Ashwin, right? But still it had a, enough for the bowlers, but it was a little too slow for me. Uh, at the Adelaide Oval, the ball, the pink ball made all the difference. There's a fair bit of grass cover. MCG, after all the criticism, had 11, 11 uh, mm of grass, which means ball did a fair bit. And Gabba had the bounce. He didn't have the, <clears throat> excuse me, he didn't have the grass. So if you look at it, all the games were engrossing well into the fifth day, except the 36 all out, where it was, it ended on the third day. Now, moving on from there to India, my big criticism of Indian cricket for a while between 2008 and 12 was there was a lot of attritional cricket in India. The pitches didn't do enough. I mean, there were boring draws, 450, 550, 600, and its response is another 700. So it took four days for the game to really kick in or the pace had to uh, uh, gather, which means... I mean, it was a bit dull cricket. You didn't have to watch ball by ball, or at least even when you tried to watch, there wasn't much happening. From that to suddenly to these couple of pitches, in a way, I'm glad that bowlers are getting the help. The ball is turning. And whether it's a pink ball or red ball, straight ball or turning ball. So I always preferred bowlers having a say in the game. Absolutely. Especially in India, where we have these big flat batting wickets where runs are piled on. However, I'm not so convinced that these two pitches are the best, given the way the game has, uh, uh, I mean, gone to fruition, if I could say that. In Chennai, it turned a fair bit. 
uh, every ball turn and more importantly in chennai on day 1 the dust the, the the surface was coming off on day 1 here in ahmedabad yes they are talking a lot about the lacquer the pink ball but it still turned a fair bit on day 1 and it skidded off and the players couldn't play to me if i sum it up both were poor pitches even the day i mean the first test was it was equally a poor pitch because it was a traditional indian pitch two days it does nothing that means the winning the toss becomes a huge advantage if i look at holistically i would say all the three pitches have been bad because the first test test was clearly an advantage with the toss the second test again a clear advantage with the toss the third test probably someone would say the toss wasn't a matter but when a joe root gets 5 for 8 it just doesn't make sense because when people say oh look at england produces green tops look at uh, australia has got cracks but what people don't realize is there is a natural element to it in england the ball does swing in the air it's due to the atmospheric whether it's moisture cloud it's a different debate i'm not getting into it the grass means the ball has to i mean seam off the pitch that's different but it doesn't seem a lot in england it does but swing is a thing and in australia due to the the hot baking sun a wacker or a gabba they deteriorate you get the big white cracks a natural deterioration deterioration of the pitch is very different to someone making a pitch which goes a little differently i think that is where a lot of the fans especially indian fans when they make this comparison they don't get the difference the other thing please understand cricket is a winter sport in india so the narrative what goes well in australia and england where it's a summer sport with natural progression may not be applicable in india i get that but we have played cricket in india from 1933 34 so which means india has had very similar natural pattern yeah of course we had a little bit in the 90s when ajit wadekar and team had a few turning pitches then mahendra singh dhoni from 2012 onwards i get that or 8 onwards but my point overall these two pitches even by the standards of indian uh, conditions and climatic things were very different to what we saw so because they are unnatural and they were not uh inflicted by nature i would like to call that as pitches which were made uh different by the curators on behest of varad's bharatarun whether it's uh, ravishastra whoever therefore i got a problem with those pitches it's not about the result i like the fact that i don't think the results would have changed england would have anyway lost but the fact that india had to sort of doctor these wickets to get a victory over england after beating australia in australia is very disappointing for me that's where sure. i would like to look at no no great insight so let me just play devil's advocate even though i agree with a lot of things that you've said so what do you tell a fan who is saying uh, rohit sharma batted on the same pitch ashwin scored the century on the same pitch so how do you uh, tackle those questions maybe simple for you but if you want to break it down when one yes. side is scoring runs and the other is it So Rohit Sharma was absolutely brilliant. There are two parts to the Rohit Sharma's innings. We are talking about the Chennai innings, right? First innings, hundred, absolutely brilliant innings. But England were absolutely woeful. Moin Ali is the most overrated bowler. I mean, this is where I got a problem, and people use statistics to prove a point. Moin Ali bowled so many bad balls. His his economy rate is around three and a half in Test matches. On a completely turning pitch, you go back to Iqbal Kasim and Tosif in 1987, Bangalore. it's not that they were the best two spinners but they bowled accurately they bowled on the dot every time you need to have accuracy and patience on these pitches you should have experience of how to bowl england had two rookies who were bowling on day 1 rohit played an absolutely brilliant innings credit to him it was one of those best innings you know better innings i would say but english spinners were woefully inadequate in terms of skills 
experience. They bowled far too many loose balls. Now, Ashwin, it's a context, right? By the time, of course, Ashwin played a brilliant innings. But by then, England, India was so far ahead in the game. You know, it's, it's very easy. This is where the cricket becomes a problem. It's, every run is not the same. Some runs scored on day one when you're not for one or one for none, whatever, whichever way you want to look at it, versus when you're already in a comfortable 200 plus, 300 plus run lead. When you have a cushion, when the field is spread, when the fielding side is knackered. Of course, Ashwin has got only five test standards. That was his fifth test standard. It was a brilliant innings. But the fact that by then the weight was off and the pressure was eased and he could uh, swing the bat uh, with gay abandon. So that, that, there's a difference between that. I mean, you could say the same thing about um, Rohit Sharma and um, Shubman Gill hitting the winning runs. You could argue saying, oh, in the pink ball test, they came and hit the winning runs without losing a wicket. Where did the pitch go? Again, the life was sucked out of England and the game by the time England got bowled out in the second innings. So third innings rather. So it depends on the context. It depends on uh, the match situation. So I think there is a distinction that can be made. Rohit's brilliance along with England's absolute uh, woeful bowling attack and they bowled poorly uh, and then um, uh, then the weight uh, eventuated in the fourth innings of the Ahmedabad test. Sure. So, same question to you, Aftar, but with a different uh-huh. flair. So, will, as fans, uh, we should care what England put out when we go there and play the first test in Trent Bridge in August? Uh, then again, it's uh, an eye for an eye if they put us on an absolute green top. I mean, what is... In, what I'm trying to ask is, we've heard this discussion many times. What's your view on green top versus a, a turner? What is a good pitch? What should be the progression of a five-day wicket? Because we don't want to see too many two-day test matches. It's, it's exciting once in a while, just to be fully neutral. But uh, how does a turning uh, track differ from a green top? Yeah, and um, it's a fair question. And I think purely from a fan's perspective, one thing that I've kind of taught myself over the years, having been in some of these partisan fights, I would definitely say in in the late 90s and having adopted a little bit of that tit for tat mentality, I think I would call it a little bit middle-aged maturity now that I try not to read too much into the pitch and I, and I try not to ascribe too much into it because I think things eventually even out, right? Um, we, India played at Joburg um, on a on a devilish pitch, was that was that a poor pitch? Probably yes, right. Um, and and we've kind of dished out um, a couple of you know pitches in the last two te- tests, which I would say border on that range of poor to to challenging. I think the ICC has a fairly good criteria for for assessing pitches, um, and I and I read through it, and I don't have any complaints with it. Uh, although my only nit with that is that there's a little bit more leeway given to a pitch that seems a little bit more um, and less to a pitch that starts spinning um, uh, more early. But I think on on balance, it's a fair criteria. And if a match referee was to use that criteria and say the Ahmedabad pitch was poor, then based on that criteria, I think it could be a fair assessment. I don't think we should worry about, oh, there's going to be a lot of grass on the wicket. And uh, Test cricket, in my mind, is called test cricket because it challenges your technique. It challenges your perseverance. It challenges your ability, not only what you do on the field, but also how you prepare for challenging conditions off the field. Um, and if that means that you know English batsmen need to come to India and play on what could potentially be ranked turners, then that also means that when you go to England or to New Zealand, you will get uh, green tops and you will get overcast conditions where, you know, the opposition ballers will will most likely outskill you, right? And the the reason why uh, away victories are, are savored so much more is because they are 
precious because the conditions are not necessarily in your favor or you have to conquer the conditions. So I, I would like to kind of stay away from this, you know, the, the tit for tat mentality. I think purely coming uh, to the topic of pitches, I, I have a slight disagreement with, with Vijay. I think between 2015 uh, to 2020, India produced fairly decent wickets. Um, and you you could look at them and, and look at the five-day progression and say the first two, two and a half days, the pitches were fairly good for batting, which is why you saw even you know when England came around last time around, they, they were putting up good scores when they were batting first, similar to what they did in the first test at Chennai. And then the Indians would bat and they would also you know rack up uh, a total close to, to England. And then by the time the third innings came, the pitch was wearing a little bit. And that's when the spin ballers with their superior skills would you know outsmart the opposition batsmen. And India relied on that template at home because they had the balling to back it up. They had two really good spinners in Ashwin and the Jadeja, and they had the likes of Umesh Yadav, Shami, and Ishant, who could take advantage of the reverse swing. Where I agree with Vijay is that I'm a little disappointed that you know they they sort of lost confidence in that template very quickly after the first Test match when England racked up a, a, a huge score and they were not able to match it, and then they were just behind in the game. And I think what they figured out was the only chance England had of winning any test match in this series was replicating what they did in that first test. Because if you look purely at, on uh, with respect to the skills of the spinners, the Indian spinners are more skillful. Um, yes, Anderson is great with reverse swing um, when the ball is abrasive. But but if you look at the spinners to do bulk of the bowling, the Indian spinners outskill um, the, the English spinners, right? So the only way England can win is by batting first and racking up a huge score. And by giving two pitches that start turning from day one, while India have given uh, an inlet to the English spinners to become a little bit more potent and effective, they're banking on the fact that their spinners are still more um, skillful and their batsmen will will kind of outplay the English batsmen because when the pitch starts turning more, um, you know, it takes away the opportunity for England to put up a good first inning score. And that's played out. Um, it's you know is 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 that the way we want to win home test matches maybe not i mean you know i think this is a far more skillful team in my mind than maybe what the, the team was under dhoni in 2008 or even under azar and I, I strongly believe that this team can win in all conditions so that to me is i think the the, the slightly disappointing part although i i my opinion is that the the two day thing is a, it's it's being a little bit overblown um and it, a lot of it has to do with a little bit of the technique and we'll talk about it in a little bit but also um with the pink ball um because if this was a red ball test it probably would have gone on the same lines as the chennai um test um and what ended up happening in chennai was yes it was a spinning pitch but people didn't come out and say it's a poor pitch right it, match went into four days and everybody said okay it's a challenging pitch it's going to challenge your your technique against pill balling i think the the effects of the pink ball and the fact that it created more problems for the batsmen um, has kind of shown a little bit more spotlight um, on this test. And I'll close off by saying this, Akib. So far, the you know the the understanding was that the pink ball under lights does a lot for the swing and the seam bowlers. I think what you'll now see is on dry wickets, particularly in the subcontinent, the pink ball will become a bit of a potent weapon in the hands of spinners as well. Yeah, I think uh, very well said, Vijay. Do you have a response before I bring in my next question? Yes, I think uh, Aftab uh, had a slight disagreement with me on, uh, I think, the timeline. Probably I should have mentioned. I just said 2008, I should have finished with 2012-13 because it was more under yep. the Mahendra Singh Dhoni yes. uh, period. And I think I never said, uh, I didn't want to say between 15 and 16 after Virat Kohli took over, like except for the Pune. 
um, or the 2015 South African tour when we had that uh, yeah. pitch in Nagpur. I, I think even even under the Dhoni period, though. Um, not all pitches, the, yes. Not, not all pitches. The, the 2012 England series was played on good pitches. I think there was this, and again, I, I, I sometimes this is the fact that I, I don't like about Indian cricket that, you know, there was this partisan need to avenge 4-0 series losses against England and against Australia. So in 2012, you saw like Bombay, which was like a rank turner. And then when Australia came, there was this very strong incentive to produce turning tracks because we had just been beaten at home by England. And so we needed to win. And the only way Dhoni thought he could win was by producing rank turners. Um, oh, so After we have a history of that, you know, right? Uh, India went to Sri Lanka in 1985. Yep. And India went there expecting a, a tea party. Mm-hmm. But guess what? Uh, Sunil Gavaskar didn't bat uh, open. Lalchand yep. Rajput. In, I mean, Sri Lanka had quicker bowlers and they had a different ball. And India didn't expect uh, greenish wickets. And they kind of uh, um, embarrassed a bit of Indian uh, batting lineup. And in, Sri Lanka went out to win the test match. So when Sri Lanka came back to India in 1986-87, what did we do? We took them to the then Nagpur, Katak. Kanpur, and after Kanpur was a a boring draw, typical green park, we produced two absolutely shocking pitches, Katak and Nagpur, to win the games. To against Sri Lanka, even back then, with with Sunil Gavaskar and Kapil Dev, we resorted to such things. So this is where, when people say, oh, we've always played fair, and I think the reason I'm bringing it up, after you bring it up, there are a lot of Indian fans say we never complain about pitches, we never, we've always been fair. It's not historically true. Yeah, maybe Virat Kohli's team hasn't complained about pitches uh, in the last couple of years. It's true, but I could give a lot of examples of where Indian captains and coaches have whinged about pitches overseas and said, "Let's do take the revenge at home." And yeah. you're right, the same thing, right? Four nil, four nil. And uh, to your point, uh, there England went on to win the Test match, and uh, KP played a brilliant innings, uh, mm-hmm. all those things. So coming back to that, uh, Sakib, my point is. Overall, India has had decent pitches uh, overall, even in the 90s or even in 2015s. It's just that these two pitches uh, look a little different. I mean, what annoyed me the bit is this morning I woke up and listened to Ashwin's press conference and the defensive mindset and the aggression he showed to the, the, to the English journalist, I don't know who it was, that was most disappointing. BCCI is the most powerful organization in the world. It, it is supposed to be a leader. But players shouting down journalists just because they asked a question by doing the job, it just doesn't sit well with me. Because if BCCI were to be respected as a democratic world leader in cricket, people like Ashwin should be told to behave better. Uh, sorry, I can't mince my words. No, no, I mean, believe me, I, and, I'm and, already, yeah. I've already, and, and, sorry, go ahead. And, and, yeah, the only point I'll make uh, before we, I think, wrap up from the pitch discussion, uh, and I agree with what what Vijay said, and I, I don't want to get into you know play, player behavior and all because that gets into a little bit of a of a rat hole. I think uh, my opinion always is press conferences uh, are are meant to be boring. They should be boring, and so uh, players should treat it as a as a place where they should give canned responses and <laughs> get out of there quickly rather than picking up fights. Um, but I think one thing I, I kind of do want to call out, which is the fact that. Because the narrative of cricket has been controlled by um, anglicized voices, right? And a lot of the cricket writing came out of um, England and then, you know, later on from Australia. The only thing that sometimes piques me uh, and annoys me is that, um, you know, batting on a green top um, and, and surviving on a green top or in swinging conditions is, is termed as challenging. 
but batting on a turning wicket uh, is is associated with words like treacherous and you know it's it's almost like you know the the oriental is out to trick you right whereas surviving in the in the anglo-saxon world is is a big challenge that you must aspire to right and and this is kind of where when when we start applying sena filters on batsmen and bowlers you know i get a little bit annoyed as well so i agree that the last two pitches were not of the highest quality one thing that irritates me is that when a pitch does demand a batsman to display skill against the spinning ball we don't necessarily equate that skill uh, in in the same level as we would equate the skill against a a ball that's you know uh, negotiate uh, it's moving or seeming so virat kohli's uh, uh, century in let's say in perth um, or in um, in trent bridge would always you know be ranked as um, above uh, compared to maybe what he played um, in in the second test right which was an equally skillful innings but will go unnoticed right similarly mm. you know kp's innings for for that matter is a masterclass right because on a turning track he literally turned the match around by by counter attacking right which is one way that you would you would play spin but it will not be spoken of in in the same vein as you know or would probably not be talked up as much as an an asian batsman going and playing you know on a green top you know which is called as as, as you know the ultimate skill that you have to kind of demonstrate that's so a brilliant me, no that's a brilliant point actually and uh, this gives me a perfect question to ask you because you are definitely the more technical out of the three of us as we were prepping this so let me ask this maybe it's uh, not an intelligent question but i'll still put it uh, on most traditional wickets in england in australia which assists fast bowlers the expectation is the first session on day 1 or at least till day 2 is becomes batting first day is bowling then some spin so have you seen any instance where a spinning wicket has a, a wicket that spins from day 1 does it change its behavior or does it keep getting worse for batting because that's the point that a lot of people want to bring into this conversation but your point about uh, batting in spin friendly conditions is really good it gets underscored a lot that's why i think gavaskar's uh, 96 in or 97 in uh, the mm-hmm. 87 test against pakistan bangalore is a masterpiece so enlighten us you know can a rank turner uh get better as the or get different uh, functions out of it as the match progresses or we don't have enough data because most matches end in 2 3 days yeah i i would probably say it's the latter and i think it's a fair point to to say and vijay made this point about like you know the natural uh, degradation that happens over a period of time um yeah. the 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 difference i think is that the grass holds the pitch together right and so as the sun bakes down on the pitch and the pitch loses moisture you know and the grass becomes a little bit less potent the pitch is still together whereas for the ball to spin it needs to grip which means the soil has to be slightly loose right so if the soil is loose from the beginning you know there's no way the pitch is going to get firmer unless you're really rolling down the lower you know roller on it so the the probability that you will see a rank turner play better is is much much on the lower side than the other way around where you you know you have a green uh, green top getting a little bit um, better um but we've also seen two day test matches in new zealand right which happened in 2002 so if you have too much grass on the pitch you just aren't giving enough time for sides to play out for three and a half days four days to capitalize on that period when the pitch becomes good for batting so i think it's a fair point that you know uh, the probability that the rank turner will start playing better over a course of 3 or 4 days it's not going to happen and you'll probably not reach that stage because the sides are going to get bowled out and particularly with drs now when you do not have that option of padding away a lot of balls it's very very difficult to see sides um, you know surviving for too long on um, on these kind of wickets sure so vijay so let me bring you sakib i just have a point on that i think it's a very important point even for green seamers i'll give an example right 
Pakistan has been trying to put out some green seamers in the 1980s because they had some great bowlers. Even India, we tried to do that in Mohali in the in the mid 90s or late 90s. Yep. So I'll give an example. 2004 Lahore uh, Gaddafi Stadium is a classic example of Rahul Dravid as a captain, stand-in captain. It was Saurav's team, Saurav Ganguly's team. He he used the world wisdom of English way of thinking. He, he didn't apply the local knowledge. He followed it. On a green pitch, he decided to bat first, thinking this is the way we bat in, at Headingley or Edge Bastion, right? You know, play out the sessions and then pitch gets better. But it proved to be wrong because the the beauty about trying to put grass in Lahore or in, in, in Pindi or in Mohali is it helps a lot in the first two days. Then it becomes an absolute dead wicket. Once the grass is uh, burned down by the sun, it becomes a batting beauty. Yeah. The only thing you can do is extreme pace like Shoaib Akhtar. Otherwise, it just gets better and better. You could bat a side out in the third innings. Look, remember 2006 Karachi, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, India couldn't get enough second inning runs and Pakistan went on to pile up 600 plus, 650. So what I'm trying to say is the natural element, even in New Zealand, right? History suggests that when you play cricket in November, the conditions are very different. You play cricket in February, which is their proper summer, it's very different. So the whole point about natural deterioration, natural variation, climatic conditions and atmospherics, when you try to port stuff from England into India or Pakistan, it doesn't work that way. So Aftab is right. Yeah, Aftab is right about soil, right? Because we have the red soil in Ahmedabad and uh, Vankade, the western side of India. While we have, I mean, even Chennai has got a bit of red soil. So the soil plays a part, the redder soil turns a fair bit, the grip and all those things. So coming back to that, to answer your question about, see, I think the one question is, if a pitch, a very rare for a turning wicket to get better, and on day one, it's not the turn. I don't think anyone complains about turn. Because 1998, when Australia played that famous test match uh, against uh, India and Chennai, it was a turning wicket from day one. Nobody complained because the ball turned. Side side spin is perfectly fine. But it was not up and down and it didn't, the, the surface was not coming off on day one. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that is a subtle difference. A lot of fans don't look at it and get a little bit agitated by saying, oh, it's, t- it's a green top, right? Green top gets better. I'm not saying green top is better or anything. But turning wicket is very different to a uh, wicket from where the top is coming off on day one. I think that's a distinction I want uh, uh, some of the fans to understand. That's a great point. I mean, uh, thanks for breaking it down for myself and the listeners. So, Vijay, you and I, our era is termed as, a, and I think after not too far behind, as a nostalgia merchants. So, it's a typical nostalgia question I have for you, even though I think you'll hit it out of the park but I still want to put it out there because I was listening to the Rob Keys and Michael Atherton podcast. And they said the previous Indian generation of batsmen of Tendulkar, Ganguly, Dravid, Lakshman, Sehwag were better players of spin because a Joe Root Pfeiffer would not happen. So try, try to compare something like this uh, with, with your recollections of that era. And, and then, you know, the younger generation thinks pitches are more demanding today. So is there a balancing act when we make that kind of a comparison? Um, <clears throat> it's a great question. I, I've not listened to the uh, Rob Key and Michael Atherton podcast. Uh, was it the Sky Cricket podcast? Uh, yes, Atherton made that. Uh, and okay. Back okay. that. Yeah. okay, so uh, I'm sure Atherton knows a lot about cricket, but this is my view, right? You know, this, this is a topic that has come up on Twitter a few times. I'd like to give this example saying that Indians have always been great players of spin, spin bowling. There's a bit of a mythical element to it. Because if you look at it, 1984-85, 
Sunil Gavaskar two years before playing that great innings in Bangalore against Pakistan. Uh, Pocock and Edmonds, they outbowled Sivaramakrishnan and Co. Yep. Right, Sivaramakrishnan, Shivlal Yadav and Ravi Shastri. And fast forward to the last day of the tight test match, 1986, uh, Ray Bright Greg and uh, Greg, Greg Matthews. Matthews, they took 10 wickets, right? So uh, mediocre spinners have come to India and are outbowled Indian spinners in the 80s. So this nostalgia that Indians were great players of spin, uh, is, it's not rooted in reality. Now, the other theory is Indians play leg spin better. In India, it's the overspin that matters. Uh, the finger spinners have done well. Yes, Richie Benno has had a great record in India. Yes, the Indian domination against uh, Abdul Qadir is well documented. And then, of course, Shane Vaughan, India had a great record as well. So if you look at it, even in the 80s, when the pitches were normal, <clears throat> the English spinners and the Australian spinners have come and outbowled India. That's a fact. Now, <clears throat> the other part is, the Navjot Singh Sidhus, Sachin Tendulkar, and of course, Mohammad Azaruddin. These are the three players who are terrific players of spin. They use the feet and they played really well and they read the ball from the hands. There is a lot of merit to it, right? So uh, they played much better. And uh, the theory is the current generation, they don't play enough Ranji Trophy. And sometimes Ranji Trophy wickets are more tailor-made for the seamers because we want to improve our domestic cricket, etc. Et I get all of that. So a uh, Virat Kohli or a Rohit Sharma or even a Chateshwar Pujara may not be playing as many... I mean, Chateshwar Pujara played a lot of domestic cricket. I'll have to give him credit for that. Some of them, once they become an international star, they don't play enough uh, domestic cricket to be able to uh, become masters of spin. Uh, so to come back to uh, this question about who was better, I'd, I'd like to bring one more example. It's the DRS. So I would like to give two examples of DRS, right? And I think I even tweeted it last uh, two days before. When England went to uh, UAE to play against Pakistan in 2012, to me, that was a seminal moment because uh, Abdul Rahman was a pretty innocuous bowler who was bowling mm -hmm. a lot of straight balls. The DRS was so used so effectively to get a lot of wickets on the front foot, which never happened before. So the, the padding, even bat and pad together, uh, you know, like the Joe Root kind of, uh, the DRS created a bit of a furore in Ahmedabad. There were a lot of decisions that went um, against the batsman. Then the other seminal moment was when Alim Dar gave an LBW against uh, Steve Smith uh, at the WACA, 16-17, when Keshav Magaraj, the left-arm spinner bowled. Steve Smith was down the track and uh, the, the ball hit the pad. When he skipped down the track and there's no way you're going to give an LBW and Alim Dar gave him out and then Steve Smith uh, referred it and the DRS decision was out. Now, we need to juxtapose this DRS history against the 80s and 90s because there was a lot of pad play. Jimmy Adams, who came to India and dominated yep. or planted the Indian attack, literally used the pads. So using pads as a first line of defense was the, the fulcrum in which the, the spin playing game was played, uh, built upon, I should say. So when you take that away, it's very hard to compare because I want to give a bit of historical perspective. Remember between 1928 and 1936, the LBW rules were different, meaning if the ball was pitching outside the off stump, you couldn't be given out LBW, like how it is now, right? You can't, if the ball pitches outside the leg stump, you can't. Imagine the ball has to pitch straight to give an LBW. That means you could easily comfortably uh, leave the ball. Even if the ball comes back, you're not going to be LBW. So 
that was an important rule that helped people like, uh, uh, you know, Hammonds and to some extent Bradman as well. Then they, they changed the rules because of deliberate padding. Then another thing happened in the 1950s when uh, Peter May and others blunted the West Indies spinners. Now the DRS has completely changed the game. So when we compare eras and say Indian batsmen were better, I would still argue, yes, the Sachin Tendulkar's, Navjot Siddhu's and Mohammad Azuruddin's uh, were better, or, or I would even say Virandar Sehwag's were better. But the fact that they didn't have to deal with the DRS, and ironically, some of these gentlemen were against DRS after having gone through what they went through against Ajanta Mendes and Murali Dharan in 2018 Sri Lanka, which was the first ever DRS series to be made available, or in fact, Indian team wanted yeah. it, probably they didn't know how to use it. So in summary, yes, the ability to play spin was different. But to say that oh, Sunil Gavaskar played a brilliant innings uh, against Pakistan, therefore he was great against spin. No, he was not always great uh, because Edmonds and Pocock took a lot of wickets out of him. I and mean, he was uh, Derek Underwood's bunny, in fact. Uh, he dismissed him multiple times. So in balance, yes, few individuals in the 90s and 80s were better. And the current generation doesn't play enough domestic cricket to be able to master spin under difficult conditions. But once you put DRS in, the technique has completely changed. So it's not very easy to say this is better or that is better. That's the way I would like to summarize, Sakib. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a brilliant answer. And I would say you don't have to watch the Sky Sport podcast now because Atherton made similar points that uh, retired batsmen of his era didn't have to deal with the challenge of using the DRS. So I think you're spot on. After you had something to say before my yeah, next a couple, question? A couple of things I would say. I mean, I think one thing we also forget when we, when we do you know, go back into nostalgia is that context matters, right? Um, so the reason why a Sunny Gavaskar 96 innings in Ahmedabad is such a classic is because it's a fourth innings knock chasing a target on a wearing track, right? And one of the reasons why, let's say, a Pocock or an Edmonds uh, ended up taking wickets in 84, 85 is because the English batsmen were putting up runs, right? So if you're, if you're, you know, chasing um, uh, a huge total, you're on, in scoreboard pressure, the way you would play would be different and you would take more risks and you'd probably get out, right? Um, and Vijay is correct that there are certain players who were really good uh, uh, against spin. I would add Lakshman also, I think, um, into that uh, bucket. And I think in the modern day game, I, I, I would strongly, strongly contest if somebody says that Pujara is not you know, as good a player of spin as any India has produced. I think he's demonstrated that amply now, uh, both overseas and at home. Um, but the the point that I also agree with is when you read a little bit of literature, I never saw, you know, Dilip Pensakar or Ravi Shastri in the 80s. But what I've read is that, you know, the padding was used a lot, right? And I think that has gone away um, from the game. Pujara still does it. And I think that's where his skill lies, that he still does it and he still doesn't get out, right? So he knows which ball to pad away and which ball to play with his bat. But everybody else, the pad as the first line of defense has kind of gone away uh, for them. And I think that's kind of changed the way you play spin bowling. And that's why you probably see more dismissals. Sorry, Saki, one more point I'd like to add. When people sure. talk about literature, when people talk about uh, great spin innings and not being recognized, et cetera, et cetera, I see all great points. But I'd like to say one thing. Um, Javed Meander scored a brilliant 200 uh, not out for Glamorgan against uh, Essex. I think it's in 1981 um, in one of the, the county championship games. I think it was 81. There is more literature available in Australian and um, English libraries about this innings than what is available in Indian libraries about Sunil Gavaskar's uh, 96 against totally Pakistan. Agree. Totally or Vengsaka's innings against Katak. So this victimhood that nobody praises 
nobody praises innings against spin now Engl- if england are involved if australia are involved if they write something up by a book it's credit to them but who stopped anyone from writing about sunil gavaskar's mm-hmm. 96 is there a single book available about 1987 pakistan's tour of india is there a single book available about sunny's uh, innings now there's a lot of victimhood saying they don't do it so javed meander's 200 for glamorgan against essex is got more literature so i think this is something that has to change so someone has to start to write books in india someone has to start to produce dvds this is where my criticism of bccf not allowing clips to come out not allowing copyrighted material yeah. to come out in a legally uh, applicable way is a problematic i think that something has to be told because otherwise this victimhood they get credit we don't get this us versus them that just does my head in i, I think for the gavaskar 96 you can't blame bccf vijay because it, i don't think they have the tapes and if you go and ask doordarshan they'll say we lost the tapes or we overrode them <laughs> i think they no 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 they, give no after this is where again uh, more pakistanis have recorded that game of ptv whatever you yeah. see on youtube mm-hmm. the longer versions it's, it's all it's from, from pakistan. the pakistani contributors yeah. credit yeah, to them i mean i don't know why indians didn't record as much as pakistanis did but if you ever want to see more of gavaskar's innings uh, i know some of the, uh, some of our friends yeah. have got sports mm-hmm. star collections which is good literature yeah. but if you want videos you need the ptv yeah. versions from pakistani mm-hmm. contributors that has helped sunil gavaskar's legacy to be maintained on youtube yeah. rather than by the indian contributors unfortunately totally agree so vijay total nostalgia again random drift which i so that match you and i i think we all watched that match so you think if iqbal qasim doesn't uh, take the blinder of a cat to dismiss azhar you think india wins that test uh, <laughs> well i mean I, I, i'm a great what if the sliding door moments person i think there are three reasons i mean iqbal qasim's blinder catch and you know i think there is even a twitter thread on it a mega thread on it because uh, there was a picture of him lying uh, on his back yeah. and i think it was a trivia that i said because i knew about that catch and i i think subhu Shastri, who's a, another popular uh, cricket Twitter person, he posted the picture from the Sports Star. Ah, uh, look, to me, in the end, uh, uh, India got the sums wrong. Uh, India, I mean, Pakistan had the advantage of batting first, but Imran's captaincy, and don't forget, Iqbal Qasim almost bowled Pakistan to a very famous win in the 1979 square turn at the One K Day Stadium, 79-80. Uh, it's just that they didn't have enough batting support to get it. But this time around. once the first inning shootout happened uh, imran kind of made it uh, the captain said javed meander was asked to open and uh, iqbal qasim scored runs and i think for unfortunately for india shivlal yadav was getting a bit tired like how i talked about mohin ali loose balls right on such pitches mm-hmm. you can't bowl loose balls and um, i still vividly remember shivlal yadav bowling those loose balls and kapil couldn't control and manindra wasn't great in the second innings and uh, yeah didn't work but again the most important anecdote uh, which a lot of people i think have used in ahmedabad as well on a square turner on a turning wicket the yep, ball that doesn't ball. turn is the one that gets the wickets uh, bishan singh bedi i mean those were the rest days i think it was a holy day the rest day was a holy day in bangalore when indians and pakistanis were playing in the swimming pool which which is hard to imagine apparently ramesh raja was thrown into the swimming pool by the set of indian players then pakistanis came and threw a few indian players into the pool that was a camaraderie between both the teams back in the, the taj west end hotel in 87 now during the uh, rest uh, rest day Uh, apparently bishan singh bedi told iqbal qasim and tosif that you don't bowl those spinners try to get the ball to go straight and they used that advice to full effect 
and they were mightily effective in beating india and just to let you know if you're bringing up a what what uh, what if scenario sunil gavaskar was clearly out twice in that 96 for the catch yeah yeah the catch and that the famous rizwan uzman he moved from square leg sorry uh, silly point to forward short leg uh, to take the catch again we have subu had put uh, uh yeah, three picture pictures out. of that which mm-hmm. again we brought it out uh, in one of the discussions um he was out but once pakistanis knew that uh, the game was getting out of hand javed miandad became the chief orchestrator being the typical typical karachi what way say gangster Street fighter he started fighter. to he started to orchestrate imran was the uh, yeah. imran was the the noble uh, ruler who was there out there you know directing traffic imra javed was there picking battles with the umpires he pressurized the umpires and umpire raised the hand at 96 when gavaskar wasn't out but unfortunately he was out twice so probably everything evens out i don't think anyone can begrudge uh, pakistan beating india but what is frustrating for me was india should have won that series much before bangalore but the moment you make a square turner it brought in their seamers Uh, like was imakram and imran and their experienced spinners into the picture like uh, if england had an iqbal and uh, tosif india wouldn't have produced a pitch like the chennai pitch yeah. when you have a moin ali you can mm-hmm. produce it because moin will bowl enough loose balls and they did not pick the second spinner <laughs> well in chennai they had two but not in ahmedabad yeah. yes yeah no no i'm a bias fan so i always thought that if azhar had stayed you know we would have won the match but again thanks for setting the record straight here <laughs> biased indian fan but So, uh, Aftab, uh, you were talking about Pujara again. That's not on the agenda, but uh, it's a very valid question that he's good on spin. Numbers show that he's along with Kohli and Root, the three batsmen against spin. But a lot of fans think that he's struggling against spin. So, shed that notion with the you know whatever uh, whatever nuance you can offer. Yeah, I mean, I think the modern day uh, definition of struggle is if you play more balls. I mean, that's. um you know that's probably the the forlorn conclusion i've come to that uh, in test cricket if you if you stick around and play a lot of balls and you're batting defensively it's seen as a struggle right whereas i think if you look at uh, maybe control percentages against spin and what he has done against nathan lyon both in 2018 and 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 in 2020 uh, he's 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 batted more balls than anybody else and he's looked the most assured um the thing with him is that uh, a uh, not only is he able to use his feet um, very well but then he's also able to judge the length of the ball and go back and forth fairly quickly um and uh, you know the uh, the the fact that he he blunt uh one of australia's major weapons on two tours consecutively um you know i think it should put most uh, most arguments uh, to rest um and it, it the fact that he was good against spin i think was always known the fact he he grew up in saurashtra he played on rajkot which is a slow turner um and so you know the footwork has kind of always been his his strength and one of the good points that um came up in in the ashwin uh, video series and i think it was in the one he did with vikram rathore was that um this whole talk about pujara lofting the spinners right and rathore said that uh, I went and suggested to him that why don't you do that right? because Rohit does it uh, Kohli doesn't do it too much but Rohit does it a lot against the off spinners it looks attractive so people feel Rohit's not struggling but Pujara's point was that if I if I loft them they'll put the fielder back and I get a single but I can actually work the ball into the gaps and I'll get twos and threes which is what he did with Lyon right and that's and Rathore said like that's a great argument I just shut up after that and push him um so I, I think we sometimes we should let batsmen be, and we should let them dictate the pace of the innings at which they are going. Um, they are the best judges of it in the middle, 
Um, and to me, the a Pujara batting defensively and batting time, uh, preserving his wicket, is as skillful as Rishabh Pant deciding that, all right, there's rough outside my off stump and I'm not going to let Jack Leach pitch the ball there and I'm going to hit it. And if that means eight out of ten times I hit it and the ninth time I get out, then that's fair. And I think that's equally, to me, him pulling it off eight out of ten times is equally skillful. And you need to admire both sets of skills uh, without looking at strike rates or scoring rates and say, oh, this guy's struggling just because he's in scoring runs. Sakib, if I may add something to the Pujara theory, because I've had a couple of these discussions on his spin-playing ability on Twitter. I'd just like to add my point. Absolutely sure. agreed with uh, Aftab that Pujara as a test batsman, if anyone talks about intent, um, strike rate, they just, that's rubbish, right? You know, we all know how valuable he is. But Mahesh, uh, who is part of the 81 All Out podcast, he wrote a, a blog saying Pujara is as good as Lara against spin. To me, that was not acceptable because that I, I challenge Mahesh, Mahesh acknowledge because Lara's ability is not his footwork or anything else. His he is wide variety of shots against um, uh, spinners of all types of spinners was unmatched. And he was better than Sachin Tendulkar on that front in playing spin. We are talking about at that level. Pujara was, is a no match to it because you could never ever dominate a spin attack, whether it's Vaughan or Morley or anybody like that. Now, coming back to the style, agreed, right? He uses a feet. Use the feet very effectively to smother and the way he's played lion, all that. But again, uh, there is another school of thought that was, that was thrown at me saying he was better than Sachin Tendulkar. Uh, the only per- he's like Azar, he's so natural. And again, he's a bit labored because when he step out and try to defend, use a pad the way he does, again, the beauty lies in the eyes of the beholder. Mm-hmm. I get that. But to me, he looks a bit labored when he does that uh, very the pronounced stepping out just to defend versus skipping down to get a single, which is good, like like any good spin player. So I would agree, yes, he's a very good player of spin, but comparing him to Lara is not even funny because even Pujara would agree that it's not funny. But to say that he's a better all-round player of spin over Sachin Tendulkar, I don't necessarily agree because Sachin had more weapons against spinners, etc., etc. Now, natural, again, it's subjective. So that's something I just want to call it. I, I never ever question Chetashir Pujara's overall batting in test cricket. He's an invaluable asset. But to compare him with Lara and Sachin for spin playing ability and dominating spin, I'm not so sure. That's where I have a slightly different viewpoint, uh, Shakib and Aftab. And I think you have All to right. see him in the context in which he's playing and compare him to people in his era, right? So his apt comparison would be against the likes of Joe Root or Virat Kohli, right? People who are playing in his era against the same set of spinners, right? I mean, you can't compare him to Lara against Mullidharan. I mean, if you watch Lara against Mullidharan in 2001, in my mind, if somebody's just seen those tapes, there's no better player of spin ever, frankly, <laughs> if you just well, go by that evidence. Um, and, and, and I'm not demeaning Lara here at all, right? But what I'm saying is that, and I agree with you, Vijay, right? This is when comparisons across generations get really, really tricky. I think Pujara as a good player of spin has to be seen in the duration of Pujara's career. And I think in the duration of his career, by the merits of what he's done, he's a good player of spin. Is he as good a player of spin as a Lara or as a Tendulkar? Probably not for the reasons you cited, right? Because his attacking weaponry is slightly limited. So with Pujara on the crease, the spinner will always keep bowling. It's a battle of attrition. You know, Pujara will survive. He'll let the other players flourish. But he's accomplished his objective, which as a number three is to blunt the weapon uh, of the opposition. Um, and I think for that, he deserves credit but yeah I, I don't think we should jump to 
lofty comparisons and say he's better than Lara or better than Yeah, after, absolutely. This point, no arguments. But I've been told very clearly by some very seasoned people that Pujara is comfortably a better player of spin than Sachin Tendulkar. And that's where I have a problem because if they stick to the Zera, Joe Root, no arguments. Virat Kohli, Virat Kohli is, is by his standards is a poor player of spin, by Indian spin playing standards. But because when people make these lofty statements saying that he's a much better and natural player of spin than Sachin Tendulkar, because I've watched Sachin enough and I've watched enough of Pujara to say that doesn't, at least from, in my humble opinion, that's not true. Anyway, yeah. I think we don't have to drift off onto so much. Back to you, Sakib. No, no, I agreed. Actually, I enjoyed this drift because I'm a huge Pujara fan, but in no way I think he's anywhere superior than Sachin or even Azhar. I think Azhar I read very highly against Spin. Yeah. So, uh, to based uh, based on Vijay's point uh, about and uh, you know India putting these pitches because they don't have like skillful bowlers. You think uh, Vijay India would have put these kind of surfaces against a Nathan Lyon? Yeah, I, I mean, I I'm no big Nathan Lyon fanboy, to be very honest. I know he's a very honest player. I mean, he's rated very highly as the Gary, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think India would have had a problem because India, I mean, let's give some credit to India, right? Because right now, so far, we bashed a fair bit of India for some of their pitches and all. India is a very highly skillful side, uh, very talented, led very well by Virat Kohli. Of course, on field, he's not very aggressive in terms of his field placements, but where Virat's strength comes from, he knows the importance of test matches. He's built a a good set of pool of fast bowlers and also skillful spinners. He's given so much importance to fitness and he's made India a, a country which loves test cricket, at least from that perspective. So with that, his mindset to win overseas at home, um, I don't think India fears anyone anymore. Nathan Lyon, uh, uh, I don't think they would have changed tactics. Um, unless an opponent, maybe if they play a very quality, even Pakistan doesn't have the spinners that they used to have, right? So, to answer your question, no. India wouldn't have changed the approach because of uh, Lion or any of the other spinners. I don't think India fears Lion. Of course, they got out, 12 of them got out to Lion in 2014-15 in Adelaide, but again, that was going against a tough, chasing a big target, going for some shots as well, right? And Lion has taken some wickets, which personally, as an Indian fan, uh, it's annoying because I don't like India to get out to uh, not the best spinners. A Shane Warne or a Murali is fine. As I said, that's my bias about Lion not being the best. But coming back to your answer, to your question, uh, India would have put out these pitches against anyone, whether it's Lion, whether it's uh, South Africa, whether it's West Indies. Or, I don't think they fear anyone. Uh, and they because did, and overall, they, they have enough to beat anyone on any surface. And they did so My that, point right? was stemming in, in... from... Uh, they did do that Sorry. in 2016-17. Like the, the Pune pitch was uh, was similar to what you saw in Chennai and Ahmedabad. Right? It was a rank turner, um, and Smith played a blinder. Like also, that's yeah. also not talked about a lot, but probably an innings close to you know the skill level that KP displayed. And then in the second test at Bangalore, it was an equally you know turning track, which ended up you know being a low-scoring game, and India eventually closed it out on in the fourth innings. And I think Lyon took an eight-four in in the first innings itself, which is rare for an overseas spinner to come and take eight wickets, you know, in, in an innings, in, in the first innings in India. You know, some people have done it in the third innings. So so they have done that um, before. And that was probably one of those series in that 2015 to 2020 time period when you saw, like, spinning pitches. Um, and they kind of ended up with, like, a 1-1 one, one score line and eventually one in Dharamshala on a slightly more truer wicket. Yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, in that, if you talk about the Pune pitch, I think uh, Steve O'Keefe uh, uh, was taking a fair bit of wickets as well, right? So, yeah. 
yeah. I, I mean, to be very honest with you, Indians might respect Lyon, but I don't think the pitch uh, uh, tactics will change based on one spinner like him. That's yeah. my honest view. No, again, uh, this again, uh, I think a good drift here. So let's wrap this up with a few questions here before I think the time is up. So we have to talk about Ravi Ashwin uh, getting to 400 as the second fastest bowler uh, while he was on target to be the fastest. But, you know, he's again picked up some bowling form. So where do you rate him, uh, Aftab, in terms of this achievement? Uh, again, the critics are same as what critics are for James Anderson, that he's a different guy in his home conditions. But again, home conditions also matter. So rate his career so far and... Uh, uh, un- unpack him the way you feel is appropriate. Um, I might open myself to criticism, but uh, second greatest spinner India has produced after Kumle. Um, and I think uh, the fact that the way he has reinvented himself or, over the last six or seven years, there's an interesting bit about Ashwin. And I think it was one of the articles in the Cricket Monthly. Um, it was probably an interview with Bharat Arun, right? And he spoke about how in... 2014, the Adelaide test, Ashwin was not playing. Karan Sharma played that famous one test that he played. And there was a lot of chatter that why is Ashwin sitting in the dressing room reading books and not on the field? And Bharat Arun kind of broke it down to say Ashwin was having technical problems and he was getting all tangled up um, in his release um, on the crease. And if you see his videos from the 2012 series, and I saw some highlights um, earlier on, you know, the body is a little bit more closed, the legs kind of, you know, cross each other and, and he, he's not really able to push um, a lot of his body into the action. And now it's a much more smoother action, less variation, more confidence in the stock balls. And it's it's a remarkable transformation over the last, um, you know, six or seven years. And I'm just looking at some stats on Stats Guru and Ashwin between 2015 and, and, and 2021 um, is, is averaging 26 away from home. And this includes, you know, a couple of series in Australia, England, right? So he, I think he's, to, to a great extent in my mind, he's put that bunny um, um, down, the fact that he could not bowl away. It's is definitely being helped by the fact that there's a very competent pace attack, um, which means that he's not always uh, bowling to an opposition when they're 500 for three. Uh, and at home, you know, he's, he's really upskilled himself and you know, the fact that he's a very potent weapon. The only thing that I think goes against him is the fact that, uh, you know, his, his fitness um, and the fact that his batting form dropped meant that India had an equally credible alternative in Jadeja. Um, and to me, I think that is, is where he's, he probably let himself down a little bit. Um, because if you look back at Kumle's career, when Kumle was fit and available, barring maybe a brief period after Harbhajan's heroics in 2001, you couldn't have an Indian test side without, without Anil Kumle. And it's ironical that even Kumle took almost like 10, 12 years of his international career to really figure out what kind of a bowler he was when he was going overseas. So his performance in his last two series in, in England and, and, and in Australia is remarkably different than what he did um, in the 90s. So I think sometimes we're a little bit too harsh on on Ashwin. Um, but if you look at his record post-2014, uh, when he's had a chance to mature as a bowler and figure out what kind of a bowler he is overseas, um, his returns have been as good as any other um, Indian spinner. And um, I, I wish his body gives him another two or three years and he's able to get closer to, to 500. Um, um, yeah, uh, but, but yeah, in my mind, like second second best spinner after, uh, after Kumble. So, uh, Vijay, you can come on Ashwin, but with a different angle. Yuvraj Singh, you know, tweeted that Harbhajan and Kumle would have been so much more successful. Again, we don't want to give weightage to that kind of uh, opinions, but uh, it's an exercise uh, 
uh, of opinions here. So, and you are pretty good, you know, student of the history of the game, especially recent history as well. So, unpack uh, Ashwin if you want to do it slightly differently or add anything to what Aftab just said. I wouldn't, I wouldn't differ very much from Aftab, as I said. Uh, for a long time, I didn't rate, uh, didn't rate Ashwin because he was a different kind of a bowler and uh, he wasn't doing very well overseas, right? But as I said in the last few years, and I think we need to give uh, give Ashwin a lot of credit for making an effort to go to Worcester, and he played county yeah. cricket. Uh, playing, I mean, he that kind of tells you he's a very good thinking bowler, wants to improve. Uh, he wants to, he kind of, I think Ashwin is a very smart person who reads a fair bit. He knows that for him to be respected in the cricketing circles, he has to do well overseas. So he's kind of worked out. He doesn't have the turn of Morley. He doesn't have the guiles of Shane Warne. So he's developed kind of this drift, dip, and um, he's used the subtlety as a as a weapon um, to become what he has become, right? Uh, if there is one criticism, uh, he hasn't run through sides like uh, Morley or Warne uh, they've done in, in England uh, or in New Zealand or in South Africa. Look, Morley's record was poor in Australia, which we all know. But again, uh, from Ashwin's perspective, as Aftab said, when India having a stronger seam attack and then you have pitches which are favoring a seam and a bit of swing, you're not going to get too many wickets left for a, uh, for a, for a spinner to get. So that's, that's one of the challenges, right? So from that perspective, um, uh, he wouldn't have a chance to get a 7-4 or an 8-4 like how Murali did in 98 Oval or 2006 Edge Preston or won his entire Ashes thing or in South Africa, right? I think that's one thing he has to improve. Statistically, Aftab is right, right? It's a bit like Magra and his average in India, right? Magra has got a very low average in India, but if you see, there aren't too many times he has run through Indian sides. It, mm-hmm. It's like he's been accurate. He doesn't concede runs. He gets enough wickets to get a good average because that's a good stock support bowler um, uh, role. So I think from Ashwin's legacy, if he really wants to be part of the morally worn club, right, ahead of Kumlais and others, he has to start to run through sides in England and South Africa, maybe in Australia, five first, six first, seven first. That would really cement his legacy. But otherwise, 400 plus wickets. And as Aftab said, he has dropped the monkey off the back. It gives him a lot of credit. But coming back to the Yuvraj Harbhajan, I think Harbhajan is a bit of a... Uh, sour grapes person and we know he has got a few things uh, to say but there is a grain of truth in that argument because I've sat through those test matches 2003 when New Zealand came to India right we talk about revenge right we were thrashed in New Zealand 2002 those two day three day test matches uh, in Wellington and Hamilton and there's so much water and Scott Styris looked like Malcolm Marshall and um, uh, Daryl Tuffy looked like uh, he was uh, uh, what was Joel Garner and then they came to India right after that. We produced two dead wickets, yep. Ahmedabad, Motera, and Mohali. And there were two draws, two high-scoring draws. And Harbhajan and Kumle couldn't do much. So when we, when we say Harbhajan Singh has got sour grapes, having gone through what we went through in New Zealand, we couldn't produce two turners. Uh, forget square turners. We can get turners. The ball couldn't, wouldn't turn. So I've sat through a lot of test series when Harbhajan played. Look at Zimbabwe 2000, right? When they came to India... We played in the old VCA ground in Nagpur, which is an absolute flat track. The yep. DDCA, Ferocia Kotla, unless they doctor it like they did for Australia in 96, usually it's a flat track. Green Park used to be a flat track. So there is a grain of truth that when Harbhajan and Anil Kumble played, I mean, Kumble used to revel when there was an uneven bounce like the Kotla and others. 
a lot of wickets were flat and were high scoring games so there is a grain of truth see it's, it's easy for us to become either a nostalgia merchant or a recent biased person right i would like to somewhere remain in between there is a grain of truth in uh, harbhajan's argument that ashwin is bowling on a lot more helpful wickets than harbhajan has done but ashwin is a lot more skillful because harbhajan yeah. never developed into a full fledged spinner like you know he started dart the balls because of t20 in one day the other important thing about ashwin i think what he has made peace with himself was originally he was a three format player he was a t20 player he was a one day bowler he was a test bowler now as aftab rightly pointed out i'm told he's now lost 7 kilos which i don't know whether it's true or not apparently he's lost 7 kilos due to due to this lockdown the fitness was a big problem and um slowly virat kohli eased him off both one days and t20s now he's pretty much a one format player plus he plays ipl i think that has also allowed him to focus a lot on red ball cricket yeah. whether it's kookaburra or sg board so sometimes as spinners develop and evolve and he's a very smart kid uh, ashwin he has understood his body better and he has added uh, subtle skills and he's also almost a one format player that kind of helps him and that is i mean again 400 wickets at the rate that he has got it and his improved record in england and uh, australia it just said he needs to run through sides to be uh, bracketed along with the the wands and the murlies of this world that's the way i would like to summarize uh, uh, sakit yeah it's a fair fair summary so i have a follow up question uh, we talked about the previous generation of indian batsmen uh, so do you think uh, is also a decline in spin playing ability of visiting teams has that attributed to it at all uh yes and no again right um where do we go right we have had neil harvey playing those fantastic knocks against subhash gupte uh, at the brayburn stadium right so left hander uh, subhash gupte for my money the best ever leg spin india has produced ahead of anil kumble and uh, chandrashekar for skill alone right i mean records would say something else uh and then we had some great west indies like bastel butcher then we had uh, uh people like you know gary sobers was great uh and then we had clive lord and we've struggled a bit uh to against chandra but then he played very well so if you really look at it we have had some great players coming to india or even kp right we talk about mm-hmm. that 2012 13 knock at the vankade again on a turning wicket uh, to me forget uh the spin playing ability the quality of the batsmanship If you look at England as a side, it's a poor English Test side. I got, a, I mean, Andrew Strauss was a very good batsman and a very good captain. He played cricket in the right way. But as the director of operations, whatever the title is called, to me, he he as a Test match fan, he's a traitor. He took England's focus away from Test cricket and he made white ball cricket as a priority. England doing that, it's unacceptable, right? I mean, as a Test match fan, my blood boils when whatever. Andrew Strauss has done for English cricket. This, uh, this uh, Butlers and uh, Bairstows—they're not Test match players. They're literally the you know, big hitters, pyrotechnics. So having taken the focus away from Test match cricket, England have got a weak team. And Stokes has struggled a bit. Root is the only quality player. But if you look at it, it's a it's a very inexperienced lineup. So yeah. expecting this inexperienced lineup to play well on challenging wickets. like the way uh, neil harvey and gary sobers and clive lord did i think we are asking for a wrong comparison so it's not about drop in quality but the other question is do we have great players even if you look at if new zealand a lot of people talk about new zealand as a great side but if new zealand comes to india they'll struggle because other than kevin i mean kane williamson and ross yeah. taylor and blundell is kind of a decent opener they don't have a great spin playing ability again it's not a very experienced side 
we don't have too many genuine players. I mean, Brian Lara, for all his record, the only time he played in India, a uh, small data size, he struggled a bit against Venkat Padiraju. So it's not easy to say that the, the spin playing ability of the visitors, have, it depends who is there in the team context at what stage of the career are they at the at the end of the careers or at the peak of the careers when they come like Andy Flower came and scored a lot of runs but two very flat tracks and uh, Anil Kumble didn't play uh, Harbhajan wasn't there against Sarandeep and uh, Sunil oh, Joshi Sandy. so yep. yeah so it depends I think people talk up Andy Flower as the greatest Spain player but he played Sarandeep who was pretty average spinner and then Sunil Joshi was a workman like test match bowler on two very flat tracks so when Harbhajan says we played on some very flat tracks, he's got a point. But coming back to your question about spin playing ability, it depends. Um, if you look at it, Sri Lankans have never scored a test match win in India. And Javed Nianda, just to let you know, for a great player of spin, he's never scored a test 100 in India. His highest score was 99. So we can always use clever angles to win this debate in whichever way. But in my opinion, if you want the current English lineup to be compared, it's a very inexperienced lineup except Root. And Stokes is not the best for these conditions. Therefore, it's very hard to compare with some of the older eras when there were greater players of spin and also greater players in overall pedigree. And so, I would go back to the same point, right? You, we wouldn't sit and debate that the ability of um, you know players to play in Australia or England has deteriorated from 20 years ago, right? I think um, there's ample evidence that some players are really good who have sussed out what their style of play is and how they want to play in different parts of the world. And some players will be found out uh, at Test cricket. Now, people talk a lot about KP, but Alistair Cook was so good when he came uh, pretty much every time to India. You, even when he came in, in 2006 and made his debut, right? Drew Root was very good when he came in, in that 2012 series. So you will have one or two players in the opposition who will be really good players of spin, which happens, you know, every time when you're touring, right? When India tours, not all of the five or six batsmen have great series, right? One or two will stand out. And if the bowling is good, you'll be competitive and those people will make match-winning contributions. I think which is right, the problem with, with England and why they're looking a little bit bad here is because apart from Root, it is an inexperienced side. It is a young set of folks. And on difficult tracks, they probably do not have the technique uh, to, to stay long. And so what they'll try and do is probably hit out, which is something like what Dom Sibley tried to do. In, in the second innings, for example, or what Stokes was trying to do. And that's a higher risk approach, which, you know, you'll end up making maybe 40 or 50, but you'll get out. Uh, sure. So let's wrap this up as planned with Ishan Sharma. You know, I mean, we can't cover every topic, but I think his 100 test deserves a worthy mention. So Aftab, I'll stay with you and then come to Vijay on him. So what do you recall of his debut and then his ups and downs? And now he's like such a workhorse in fact, a spearhead of this attack, uh, known for disciplined bowling, can bowl long spells. So, break down Ishant, you know, through 100 tests for us. I mean, I've been amazed by the amount of, um, you know, maturity and, um, you know, transformation that came in him. And I'll be honest, I'll probably readily admit it's not something that I that I expected. Um, you know, I saw the the spell he bowled at Perth and then you kind of always looked at him as someone, you know, that tag he had of being unlucky. And I kind of never really agreed with that because, you know, I, I always felt that we were being a little bit too generous by giving him that tag. I thought he had that um, Srinath syndrome where, you know, he, he was not being smart about where he wanted to bowl. Um, he was either too far down the leg or his length was not where it needed to be. He was a bit too short of length. 
and so not creating enough wicket taking opportunities uh, for himself but it, similar to maybe what happened with ashwin right it's, it's amazing that when you go and and go and play county cricket in england and you're away from all that noise and you know you have a chance to focus on your game it gives you an opportunity to kind of realize what you um what you need to do and there is some uh, interesting stuff i read that they spent time at sussex with chasing gillespie and maybe a similar kind of a bowler right equal height coming from fairly high angle um but hitting the right lengths right and that was kind of why gillespie was a great bowler and did so well um so ishan's you know again it's it's unbelievable the difference in the numbers between you know ishan between 2000 and before 2015 and ishan after um uh, you know 2015 i mean i'm just looking he's taken like 100 odd wickets in the last 6 years at an average of 24 which is you know remarkable for a fast bowler and he was averaging 37 uh in his first 7 years of 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 test cricket and it goes back to the two additional points i would make i think one um similar to ashwin kind of realizing what role he is playing um and you know whether he's been an enforcer for a while and then he's been a strike bowler um and then the second piece i think we don't give enough credit to folks around him who have persevered and shown faith with him and there's a great stat that came on twitter and osman commented on that as well and there's a little bit of research that i've done as well um you know that when you look at um uh, teams that have uh blooded a lot of fast bowlers um and how many of them actually ended up taking let's say 40 to 50 wickets and how many of them ended up taking 100 wickets right on one end of the spectrum you have teams like australia and england where you have you know anderson and broad who've taken 500 wickets like you take a 15 year time period from 2005 to 2020 right and you have australia who who've had stark hazelwood johnson everybody's kind of 200 wicket column 150 wickets plus and and india has ishant shami umesh and bumrah's most likely going to get there but then you see a team like pakistan and Pakistan has so many fast bowlers who are in that 40 to 75 80 90 wicket range and those careers just finished after 15 or 20 games right there's not enough patience there's not enough perseverance and for all you know by 2013 14 we could have done the same with Ishant and you know we we could have said all right that's it we are done with him but people saw something there and people persevered and similar to you know how there was perseverance in case of rohit sharma and you know you get rewarded for that um so so i think credit to people who who persevered with him but then credit to him also for um, for figuring out his game and what works for him that's a good uh, call out uh, to indian management so vijay over to you uh, i'm sure there's a lot of agreement in what uh, aftab said on ishant where would you rank him in the annals of indian fast bowling of the guys you have seen So Sakib I mean uh, Aftab has pretty much covered a lot of points about the Gillespie I think one point is uh, uh, when he played for Sussex Gillespie taught him how to bowl fuller I mean Srinath syndrome right mm-hmm. he had to bowl mm-hmm. fuller but still hit the pitch so it's a bit of a subtle art I'm no expert uh, because floating the ball versus hitting the ball so all those things and then he is found the swing back uh, and also bring the ball back into the right hander plus straighten and also swing both conventional and reverse but i think i'd like to bring one point about um, uh ishant about the pakistani comparison i've not read the tweet but uh i'm thinking of people like munaf patel rp singh um irfan patan so we i mean we had this stream of fast bowlers coming in at that time bowling almost at 140 kilometers per hour or close to 85 to 87 then a lot of them lost pace immediately i think mm-hmm. that was a big problem india had in the past 
But now if you look at Ishan, and that is where Indian ecosystem has improved. The fitness has become a big thing. We have bowling coaches. I, I don't want to give a lot of credit to IPL, but you have to give when it's due sometimes. Because of the IPL, we had all these fitness trainers and uh, masseurs and uh, experts have come in. The diet has improved. So Indian ecosystem around fitness, and you give a lot of credit to Virat Kohli for that as a, as a captain, right? That has helped. Uh, as, as they say uh, in the management books, uh, when the high tide rises, it raises all the boats. So people like Ishan would have fallen through the cracks, say, six, seven years ago, but now he's been benefited by that. Then, of course, the, the Sussex stint. Now, coming back to your question about in the annals of uh, from Mohammed Nisar to Ramkant Desai to Srinath to Zahid to Ishan, I think it's right up there. I mean, I think I think this is a golden era of Indian a pool of fast bowlers because we have Jaspreet Bumrah, who have, we have Mohammed Shami, who's very underrated, and Umesh Yadav. Don't get me wrong, is a very steady customer on a lot mm -hmm. of conditions. So, if you look at it, this is probably the golden era of Indian cricket from a, a pool of fast bowlers. But I'd like to wait for them to finish. Uh, would Ishant be rated ahead of a Srinath or a Zaheer? Or, uh, I didn't mention Kapil because I look at Kapil as an all-rounder because Kapil as a pure player fast bowler is different. Uh, so he'll write, he'll be right up there. But again, the only difference is uh, the Indian history of fast bowling is not as great as Australia or West Indies or Pakistan. So to become the third best or the second best in Indian history uh, may not be may not mean much right now. But when when this pool ends, Umesh, Shami, uh, Ishant, and uh, uh, and Jasprit Bumrah. They might be setting new standards uh, in terms of the Indian fast bowling pedigree. So I would like to wait for him to finish his test career, but it wouldn't be too hard for him to finish in the top three uh, because we haven't had much in the past. If you take uh, Zaheer and Srinath away and then Kapil away, then there wasn't much before that except Ramkan Desai and, uh, and uh, Mohammed Nisar. Sure. Great callers, guy. It was a fun podcast. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed this. Hopefully, we can get uh, this band back again at some point. I'll be in touch. I hope you enjoyed uh, the conversation because I, I know you guys know each other of before. So, I tried to just feed off some energy, but I think you guys were just terrific. Thank you. Thanks for having us. This was a pleasure. Oh, thank you very much. I mean, as I said, Shakib, I hope uh, I have done justification to the fact that you've reached out to me. Mm -hmm.